imposter syndrome. It's 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 tough drawing the line between bursting someone's bubble and actually setting them up for long term success. I think it forms from so common in. This is British Strongman Podcast with Josh Lancaster and Shane Germain. Strongman programming and technical excellence for everyone. Boom. Top three mental challenges in Strongman for advanced athletes, Curtis. One of the most common ones that I found with OSG, which I wouldn't say is particularly surprising, was imposter syndrome. And I think that's... um, First of all, with imposter syndrome, it isn't very well studied due to the fact it's not got its own separate diagnosis, i.e. it's not recognised as a mental disorder. So therefore, studies and literature on it is very bare. Um, It used to be believed it was only like perfectionists and women who tend to suffer with it, but it's not the case. It's study I read recently is 75% of people who are in medical practice in the first three years after graduating have imposter syndrome it's it's so common in athletes in in scholars in students so, um, so do, you, do you find it's linked more with like high achievers like we, we move, we've talked about the mental challenges for beginners but moving on to the more advanced athletes now do, do you find that this is more 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 of a common theme with people you know like winning up or stepping up at a level in terms of competition or what? I'd say it it comes with higher higher levels so you could say higher achieving but because I, th- I think it forms from say in an athlete field in strongman you when you first get into it you look at those at OSG at Worlds whatever and you're like fucking hell that's str- they're strong um, you paint this picture that they're like incredible amazing but when you get to that level um, you never feel like like that, basically. And when you're then going into, especially a competition where there's live streams, there's a big crowd, you're traveling a long way, it's then hard to to put yourself in the shoes of somebody whose who's way you, you perceive to be so amazing and brilliant just a few years ago. Um, so, yeah, I would say that's a, a big challenge. Um, but it's important to know, and anyone who does seem to get it, it's it's more common than it's not common. It's like, it's rife. Um, yeah. So I think the key thing is, like, if, if like, don't be afraid to talk about it. If, if you feel like this is you listening to this, like, don't don't feel like you're alone with it. Like, a lot of people feel this. And a lot of people who, and it, it may surprise you, like, um, so how, how do you, how do you feel like you can, you can keep away from this? How, how can we fix it? Right. So, and I'll aim this at coaches as well as athletes. So first of all, again, in, in practice, most of the time people, um, practitioners will scream for anxiety or depression because it's commonly linked with that. As a coach, obviously, you don't have the capabilities to do that. But what I would start off by doing is splitting between somebody who you think in an OSG scenario should be going for top 10 or even podium, split them and the people who were they've earned the right to be there, but realistically, they're not aiming for that, that target. So what you do from there is you split. So... If somebody's going into a competition and 
they have to have that competitive element. So they've got to think about winning or podium or beating other people. You, you would treat the intervention for them differently to how you would treat somebody who's realistically probably not going to get top 10, but they've still got the right to be there. They've earned the right, they've qualified. So we'll start with the the second group first, so the people who who probably aren't looking to that top 10 area. First of all, just let them remember and talk to them in a way. So when they start struggling about or open up and say, look, I'm struggling with imposter syndrome, remind them of how they felt felt and thought once they qualified. Because most of the time, people in that situation, they'll just be buzzing to get the opportunity. They'll be like, oh, my God, I've qualified. That's amazing. It's only when they start approaching the competition is when they start panicking and worrying. So remind them of how that felt and then put the focus purely on, like I was saying at the start for beginners, task oriented goals. So list out all the events, what would be a realistically good target and just get them aiming for that. And it doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. You're there to put on a show, talk to them about, you know, what this competition is actually for. Why have they entered it? Because unless they're deluded, like if somebody's, they'll be aware that they're not going for the top spot. They'll be aware that they're not going to win the competition. So ask them, well, why were you excited in the first place to do this? And yeah. then build from there. Um, but I suppose, then, go on. Go on. I suppose the, like the role of the coach is so important here where, because the coach might help identify, like actually say that, you hear it. You hear it all the time, don't you? Where you have clients at the start, and they were like, "Right, well, I want to get to Giants Live in three years or whatever." And you look and you think, "What the lifting now, and how long it's taken them to get there, and projecting that up, and remembering when you've had like realistically, some people need some ha harsh truths, don't they?" Which, but <laughs> I suppose the the coach. <sighs> It is, it, is it is actually tough because you see some people who who kind of string them along with the 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 it's difficult it is a real difficult one because what like it's tough drawing the line between bursting someone's bubble and actually setting them up for long-term success in terms of my uh, yeah you see it on social media all the time where people set themselves up to fail. You know, they say they're going to do something this like ridiculous. Oh, oh, sorry, not ridiculous, but like lofty goal. Yeah. And then you've recognized traits and characteristics and uh, habits in these guys that you follow on social media. And you think, well, actually, you've you've only been back training six weeks because you had three months off because you went you got distracted by something else. Like realistically, you know that they're likely to foot anyway off on a tangent but the, the most important thing which i don't think i mentioned why i was doing so and this is true for both cases the most important thing is to build an internal sense of confidence and achievement so that's why we remind them of how they felt and what what was going on in the mind once they qualified and then start to associate that with the the goals that you set with them so say 
Axel deadlift, I think it was 277 for the, was that under 90s? Was that under 80s? Yeah. Um, that for reps, and you've got someone who, that's their current one rep max. You say, well, if you can get more than one rep, you've PB, and get them feeling excited and, and focused on that so that when they go into the event, they've got, I really want to smash two reps rather than thinking, person before me has just hit 14, because that's irrelevant. You can only yeah. at this stage do what do what you're doing, and if you get them really focused on in that situation, task orientated goals, then that can make sure that they not only go into the competition feeling excited, but how a competition should feel. So they're excited, a little bit nervous. They've got right sort of goals in. It means that when they leave it as well, they're not going to feel deflated because they didn't get the number or the place in that maybe they they would have liked. But we'll go on to the to the more advanced lifters. So those who should be more focused on the competitive element. And this is where well what I'll I'll ask you first, just out of interest, what would you what would you say to what would you say to a client? <laughs> say, you know, it's somebody who you think should be thinking about placing, getting top three, and they were saying, look, I've got imposter syndrome. I, out of interest as a coach, how would you handle it? Again, like I'd go back to the, uh, I think the task orientation, orientated goals is like, is massive. Like I'm a massive fan of being objective and looking at stats. And, and I, I'll just say, look, the reason why I think and you think you are aiming for podium at this comp is because of X, Y, and Z. It's not just because I like you and I think you're great and whatever. It it's because you've 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 got this place in it, this comp at national level. You 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 walk to that comp in the qualifier. You've you've shown consistency throughout the season. You've not had a competition where you've your performance has dropped. You've been really consistent in terms of you've hit 12 sorry you you've hit the last 18 months of training without hit without missing a session like but, but basically look at all the all the measurable components because because to be honest that like that's as a coach and an and an athlete myself like that that's that's a way that i kind of I've got over my own reservations in the past is by looking at let, let's look at the facts. Let's look at the instead of just thinking, oh that that that's a way that that I've overcome personally. You know, put when I started off, I had people on I talked to Flash about it recently. Uh people like Flash on pedestals and thinking, oh my yeah. god, like I'd love to be able to lift as much as them on that lift one day or whatever. And it's it's important to instead of having this these people on pedestals um if you don't change your mindset to be task orientated and and to have these objective measures that you're improving at like that that pedestal that gap or that looking up will always remain there so if that other person isn't in, improving you you you're never go, you're never going to really cr close that gap whereas if you can focus on improving your kind of logical tangible measures yourself that that then you you, you are you are going to do that and, and i suppose like i just 
try and reinforce this in pe- people people that I coach and 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 look at what we can look at what we can measure and reiter- re- reiterate that to them and show them the reason why they are they have got this opportunity is you've been, they've been prepared they've hit they've hit the they've hit the stuff it's not because because realistically most of the competitions and stuff like you have to qualify for in some yeah. whether it be online qualifier and that in fact that's the answer what i've said to some people they've done they've done osg and they're like oh i'm a bit out of my depth i'm like well you're not you you've you've entered and you've even if you just even if you know rep three events and get a whatever you've been, well, you, you deserve to be there the, there's a few things that i would change and i was kind of expecting you to say that because that is what most and it's not wrong in a sense but the first thing is if you've got someone aiming for podium you mm. do kind of need to make the switch to ego ego based goals as well in the sense of you are yeah. competing. Uh, to be honest mate i forgot you said that i've got to just ra- ramble for about eight minutes haven't i um, uh, yeah i got gone really interesting so, but the most important thing is if somebody's got imposter syndrome them feelings of positive effect them what you're effectively trying to give them as a coach by saying look you've earned the right to be here your lifts have been really good it's the right message but it has to come from them rather than from you if that makes sense so because when somebody's got imposter syndrome they think that they're fooling you just like they're fooling the the qualification process they think that they're, they're almost living a lie, if you will. They feel very isolated. So if, as a coach, you start saying, well, this session's gone really well, I think you're going to do really well, that could almost close them in a little bit more as, as feeling isolated because they think they're just fooling you. So when you start saying, oh, you're doing really well, you've smashed this session, you've smashed that, if that isn't coming from them themselves... It's just closing them in more and more. So the yeah. way I, I like, well, I, sp- I suppose to ob- like object from that somewhat, like, like I, I'd never say, like personally, I'd never say, "Oh, you're doing really well. Or you're smashing your session or whatever." I just, I, I just offer them the facts and just, and I suppose like steer them into realizing themselves like like basically offer the well well this is what you've done this is the where you've placed that and that and that's been your mindset going into that do you remember how you felt going into that and you felt that was a bit crap but then on the day you were you were great like these are the stats like you 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 just like all all i'm asking them to do is consider the facts and reminding them to consider the facts rather than trying to coerce them into a, fee- a feeling if that makes sense yeah so what i what i tend to do is so say once i've had a consultation it's someone i'm thinking well this is this is one of the the big players in in the category here i'll try and find one of the problem events so something that they're less confident on try and see the reasons why they're feeling it so say for example they pick deadlift so i'll quickly ask them well how's the deadlift prep been going stuff like that um, and they'll be like, yeah, you know, the prep's been going okay, but, and then, and this is where strongman powerlifting is great because we've all got videos on our phones and stuff. So I get them as an exercise just to go through the, the videos on that lift. 
So say it's the last last session of the peak, they hit a, a big single or five rep max, whatever. And instead of just watching it and analysing it from a third person, I get them just to almost relive that moment. So watch it, remember how it felt when the bar started moving, um, and just and I'll get some, them to give me some verbal feedback as well, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, no, that felt amazing. Get them to think about the physiological responses when when that happened in a sense of, you know, how did your stomach feel? How how did, you know, did you get butterflies? Or just get them talking about how it felt and how they felt afterwards. And they were like, oh, yeah, I felt like an animal. And then when they start talking about feeling like that, you've got them. And then you're like, right, that's what you're doing every time you start feeling worried about this event. So instead of you saying, oh, no, you'll be class at this. Your deadlift peak's gone fucking perfectly, Josh. Get you to realise that yourself. So you're going in with it with a confidence of, I basically want them going into the comfort saying, I'm a fucking animal and I'm going to smash this. But you've got to make sure that you're doing it in a way that it comes from from them rather than, than you trying to say, well, this is how everything's gone. You're an animal. So if you just get them associating them positive emotions that they had from training... Uh, and it doesn't even have to be an event that's not gone great. Uh, or, sorry, not not gone great, but that they're worried about. It can be, say, if they're class at Stones and you fucking know the class at Stones and you know that the Stones peak has gone perfectly, get them to focus on that. Uh, just so that they're re rebuilding, in, in a way, that sense of efficacy of their own abilities. Brilliant. So what, what other challenges do you see in strongman so we've covered the the imposter syndrome like what other things do you see in advanced athletes in fact, in fact, uh, go on i was going to say mental blocks not being able to get in the zone that sort of thing not being able to get hyped as we'd say brilliant like give us an example uh somebody so as soon as there's a three at the start of the number of the deadlift, so you've gone from 299 to 300. As soon as it's 300 on the bar, they, they just can't do it. They start doubting themselves, oh, this is heavy now, um, and they, they can't do it, despite the fact they've just done 299 for like 10 million reps. Brilliant. And how do you, how do you fix that then? So if you I... go to Curtis's, if you go, go Instagram.com forward slash the strongman psychologist, he's done a a recent video on this and you can read the caption you can see the caption and then if you look to the left you can see um some some scientific literature backing up that what he's saying about fix your mental block so yeah do you want to give us a bit of a summary of what you what you say in the how to how to fix them right so basically if you've got a mental block and you're an experienced lifter it's to me it shows that you've got a disruptive flow state because when you're in a state of flow which we might call hyped um or in the zone whatever you want to call it you've got no room there for pessimism for self-talk because when you're in a flow state the brain regions that are associated with this so your frontal cortex for example their activity levels are lowered um and it should al almost be an automatic process so just like when you're driving a car, for example, if you're thinking about driving, you you drive a lot worse. If you just let everything happen, you, you drive a lot better. It's the same for lifting. So if you've got any room there for thought processes, your performance is going to 
is going to be worse, especially when it comes to the bigger numbers, because instead of just allowing your body to do what your body should do, so they're the brain regions that get lower during flow state. Um, instead of allowing your body just to do what you're experienced to do, you start thinking about how heavy it is or talking yourself out of it. But the issue itself isn't the talking self out of it. It's that you've allowed yourself to be in that situation anyway. So what I get everyone to do who struggles with this is go right back at the start of a build-up. So it can be in the volume phase. It can be right at the start of the peak. Every single, and we'll use deadlift as an example, every single deadlift has to be the same in the sense of that 15, 20 seconds before you do the deadlift, I want you to build a ritual. And it doesn't matter what the fuck it is, just as long as you can take it from every single gym to every competition. So try and keep it like not music-based, for example. Um, and then it can be something simple like slapping your face, putting your belt on and screaming, I'm a fucking animal. And if you do that every single time, it's going to become so automatic that when it becomes the big heavy deadlift, you go through that ritual, you just do exactly what you've done every single time, you're in a state of flow and you drop the possibility of these negative thoughts coming in because as soon as they come in, they're going to ruin it for you. And I've got a good example of that from that 400 deadlift, if you've got that available. I think I sent it to you. Yeah. No. <laughs> I think it was... Hold on. Yeah, wait, yeah, I'll, I'll, so I'll, I'll find that in a moment. I just want to get you onto the next thing, and then you can come back to this. So the 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 other mental uh, another mental challenge for advanced athletes compared to beginners. Beginners, it, you're getting that regular gratification, aren't you, of um, hitting PBs more frequently. Whereas when you get to the advanced level, it can even get to the point, like say for instance, we. Like speaking from a personal personal level here, like actually on some lifts, like my deadlift, for instance, like I've been in, been injured and rehabbing, whatever. But it, it's actually been for a while about damage limitation and 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 slowing regression, rather than even thinking about progressing and hitting a PB. So with obviously that's an that's an extreme example. But a lot of people are in uh, are in that scenario, especially as you get to like masters lifters and people who, people who've got a lot of miles on the clock and stuff. But I, I suppose just cheap, just speaking. Let let's there's like four hundred people at OSG roughly. So let's assume that the most of them are advanced. the the likelihood the the regularity in terms of hitting PBs and is going to be a lot lower than the. So let, let let's t t tell me about the how you deal with that like psychologically, and how you can get your mindset right to deal with the long training cycles for even if you just equal your PB but pull your PB a little bit smoother or something. Like how can you get in that that mindset for the long term success? I suppose. Well, it can be done in a few ways. I, I personally like using different variations that maybe you don't use that often. So you might get a PB on a snatch grip deadlift or adding Olympic lifts in, for example, in, in an off-season period, just so you've got that 
possibility of still feeling like you're hitting PBs. Um, but I think for most advanced lifters, they're at that stage where they love lifting or they should love lifting. Uh, so it's a process that you kind of, I don't want to say should get used to, but you don't get to an advanced level without enjoying what you're doing. So I think adding different variations for you having the possibility to still hit PBs. Um, and then if somebody is really struggling with the idea of, oh, I'm deadlift PB in two years. Personally, I would say look into some acceptance and commitment training. Uh, so this is mostly mindfulness-based meditation exercises and just almost teaching yourself to accept situations for how they are. So if you've gone a long time without hitting a PB, you've got injured, whatever, there's always some benefit you can get from that. So an injury, a very easy example of a benefit you can get from that is, especially as a coach, but even as an athlete, you learn about your body a little bit more. You learn different prehabs, rehabs, how to basically how your body works a little bit better and you can use that. Um, and also just in a sense, reminding people that it's a long-term game and, you know, sometimes you might have to take that a little bit longer, but when you do hit that, PB after, say you get five kilo PB after two and a half years, that feels a lot better than getting the 10 kilo PB every week when you first start. Um, so, yeah, so I, I'll chip in and the stuff that you are saying from a kind of scientific background, I can I can confirm that there are a lot, there are some of the tactics that I've been using to, like, I, I, I just love. I just love the fit. I'm addicted to the feeling of progression. And sometimes real realistically, if you look at say the last couple of years, like my deadlifts nose dived and you can say whatever, whatever the reasons are injured, whatever. But realistically what I've had to do and what I've done well is just change the goalposts and change my expectations and been like, right, well in this next block of training, can I, can I get some progression on this or whatever? And you, look, using the different variations, like you've like you've said, finding a variation that doesn't hurt as much, and then working on that and getting some linear gains out of that, and and state like, yeah, that's what I've done. And then more recently, as in like the last couple of weeks, I've I've got to the point where I can push my squat again. So now I've got all these different variations. I put on my story earlier today, actually, that I've got some goals within my squats. I can't quite put, I can't quite go flat out on my deadlift just yet because it's fe just feeling, feeling like I'm flirting with that kind of injury line. But now I've, now I can feel like I can really push my, push my squat. So I've got all these kind of variation PBs that I'm, that I'm, that I'm chasing because I know myself. I'm self-aware in terms of know that know what motivates me, and and it's that kind of working towards those, rather than just having one goal. Oh, you, yeah. What's your what's your squat PB? Like actually having ten different variations that are that are that are tracked over time. What about like instead of just having a one RMs, can you have three RMs, five RMs, seven RMs? Sometimes, sometimes like if you're clutching at straws, like even hitting a a rep PB can make you feel good. 
just because you haven't even just because you haven't hit that number of reps before, <laughs> you know, picking like a seven rep max or something that it can, can be really. Go on. I think I think you touched on it quite well before as well when you were saying that. All right, maybe deadlifts you're not going to be hitting a PB, but there'll always be something concurrently that you that you're working on that you know you will be progressing on. Like I don't think. I don't think I've ever ever known anyone really go two years where nothing, unless they've had like a really bad injury, but then you can almost see it as a case of, well, you know, can you, yeah. can you think more about recent PBs? So, yeah, you know. I've gone, what would you say to me, Curtis? Gone from uh, 320 to 120 in two years. <laughs> <laughs> they, they fucking or something, mate. You got it. <laughs> um, but no, it's a, it's a case of it is a long, long process. And if somebody is, because I mentioned ACT before, if it is injury based, um, I would focus more on um, meaning centered therapy. So that's the 360, the 400 is either after or before. Right. So this is a 400. And you notice that my strap isn't as tight. So I've got to do my whole setup. In this two, three seconds, from going from the most hyped man in the world, I just thought, oh my God, this is a 400, this is it. Just because that flow state got disrupted by this little second here when I went to pull the strap and it wasn't tight enough. And I went from, there was no way in hell I was failing that, to that two, three seconds, everything was going in my head. And retrospectively, I wish that I'd just stood back up, rechalked my hands, did my little pre-lifting ritual again. So there's a lot of shouting and screaming before I strapped up, up to that bar. Um, would, that, would I have pulled it? I'll never fucking know. And I hate that. But my, my pulling technique completely changed. Like normally I sink my hips when I'm wearing a suit. I basically try stiff-legging it. Um, and whether I would have pulled it or not, I don't know. The peak went really well. But that lich that two seconds was enough just to completely talk myself out of it. Whereas, sorry to make you go back, is my log video about? I think that was the most recent one I sent. Yeah, this is the one. So on this, it's clear that I've got absolutely no awareness of my surroundings. I've got no thought, no possible voice in my head telling me I can't do it because there's not a chance in hell a normal Curtis would have punched a log. Because that really fucking, I broke my knuckle doing that, you know. <laughs> ruined Brilliant. the next like five weeks of training for me but it's that state of there was absolutely no mental inhibitions of saying that oh you can't do this there was no doubt in my mind because effectively you, your conscious awareness your internal dialogue when you're in a state of flow is completely shut off there's no room or space for it it's just this right. instinctual animalistic approach of I'm just going to sling some big pin. 